Well, if you have your Bible, turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17. We'll also have it up here because we're going to jump around a little bit. This is one of the most well-known, well-loved stories in the Bible, the story of David and Goliath. And just to set the stage a little bit, uh, the Philistines are Israel's number one enemy. They were a ruthless people. And they attacked Israel in this given time. And in response, Saul gathered his army and they marched out to meet the Philistine army. So here, here's what happens. The Israelis, the Israelite army, end up on one mountain. And the Philistines end up on another mountain, up on a hill. And in between is the Valley of Elah. And for 40 days, they are at a standstill. They are just looking at each other. And I think part of the reason is because whichever army attacked the other would be at a strategic disadvantage because they'd be coming up the hill to fight. And that's never what you want. You want a higher ground. So in this time, the Philistines send out a champion. This was done sometimes in ancient days. Rather than have entire armies fight it out, they would choose their best warriors and they would have them fight it out representative. And that way um, you, you save all the bloodshed and, and other things. So in this case, we see in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 4, And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath. And Goliath does exactly that. He challenges Israel to choose a man, choose a champion for him to fight. Man on man, man to man, winner takes all. And Goliath, we know he's big, but he is also fierce. He is a warrior all his life. He is strong. I believe the breastplate alone that he wore was 125 pounds. So he was a big and strong and fierce warrior. And no one in Israel is willing to step forward. One day, David, while he's tending his sheep back home, his father calls him and sends him to the battlefront with provisions for his three older brothers that are serving in the army. And so let's pick up the story in verse 22. David arrives at the camp. Verse 22. David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. As he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. So David is there. He's talking. All of a sudden, Goliath steps out into the middle of the valley and he does his thing. He taunts Israel. He defies Israel. And, and David sees this. He sees Goliath come out, and then he sees all of Israel run to their tents, and David feels something rise up in his heart of indignation. Verse 26, he says this, Who 
is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Who does this Goliath think he is to defy the living God and the people of the living God? You can, you can see that where the Israelites saw a huge man, God's, or David saw a huge God. He saw God. You see, fear in our hearts, it, it causes the problems to look bigger than God. Faith sees God as bigger than the problem. And that's what David had faith in that moment. Now, there's a little aside story here. David's oldest brother, Eliab, is not happy when he hears David's talk. David is actually finding out what's the reward for killing this guy. So David is going from person to person. I guess he wants to confirm it. And it's, it's uh, you get to marry Saul's daughter and your family gets freed and you're going to get all these different things. And so he's going from person to person. Tell me again, what, what's the reward? And Eliab hears that. And I, I think Eliab is still smarting from the fact that Samuel anointed his youngest brother, David, to be king rather than him, who is the oldest, strongest, biggest brother. So I think that still bothers him. And, uh, and so he accuses David of having a prideful and evil heart. And, and here's what I think is happening. Eliab is just projecting his own heart on David. Eliab is jealous. He's proud. And I think he's got, you know, like this evil jealousy that rises up in him. And so what he does is he tries to belittle David. He says, hey, you belong with those few sheep. Go back to the few sheep that, that you, that's your job. That's your place. Go back there. Well, we know the story. David, David says, hey, can't I just talk? You know, you ever done that in a family? You know what? Can I just talk? That's what David says. You know, I'm just talking. But David presents himself to Saul as the champion who will defeat Goliath. And with five smooth stones, we know the story, and a sling, he kills Goliath, cuts off his head. I want to divert a little bit because we know this story a little bit <clears throat> so well. We've heard it. In Sunday school, I remember flanographs, you know, with David and the sling and Goliath. <clears throat> but I could be wrong, but I think a lot of teachings teach this story, actually miss the big point of the story of David and Goliath. Even today, it's, it's a symbol of the little guy taking on the big guy. Going out against all odds and overcoming giants. And I think, I remember anyway, there's this message, go out there and be a David. Go out there and slay your giants. Be a champion in life. I couldn't help but think of that Queen song, We Are the Champions, My Friend. But that misses the big message. Now, it's not that that's wrong, and, and we're going to come around to a little bit of that as well. But 
That misses the big message that God has for us in the David and Goliath account. <clears throat> for years after Janice and I got married, she had a reoccurring dream. And uh, in this dream, something would be threatening us, but it would be Janice and I and her younger sister, Celia, and, and Celia's husband, Bill. So the four of us would be together, like in a house or in a basement. Something dark and evil would be threatening us. And there we are with this danger present. I think the danger changed, but the reoccurring of this dream, at some point, invariably, as we're, as we're huddled together, frightened and trying to figure out what to do, invariably at some point, Janice would stand up in her dream and say, Celia and I are going to do this. We're going to go out and we're going to tackle this thing and we're going to deal with this thing and all of that. And then off they'd go. And after a while, I began to wonder, what are Bill and I doing? <laughs> like we're, I just envisioned us huddled together like, Go, honey, save us. And um, I'd like to think that wouldn't be the reality in real life, but that was the reality in her dream. We are, um, we are more like the Israelites hiding in the tent in her dream. We weren't the champions of her dreams. And I give her that. It's her dream. She can be the champion of her dreams. But when we read this account, the question I want to ask is, where are we in this account? Who are you in this account? Who am I in the account of David and Goliath? See, often we like to think, I'm the, I'll be the champion. I'll be the one that stands up. I'll be the guy that goes out there. I'll be the gal that goes out there and faces the danger. When we look at this picture, camp Philistines here, Israelites hiding in their tents, shaking and quaking there, David and Goliath in the middle, where do you see yourself in that picture? Well, you probably figured it out, probably know. We aren't the champions, my friends. The message of this is not be a champion. The message of this is we have a champion. The champion is Jesus Christ. David is a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. He is the one who came as the king, but wasn't yet hailed as a king. David's been anointed by God as king, but no one knows that. No one's calling him king. Saul is still on the throne. Jesus came as the king who wasn't yet hailed as a king. Jesus came like David as the one sent by his father, but rejected by his brothers. Jesus came as the champion who would stand in the valley and fight the enemy on our behalf. Amen? That's the point of this story. That's the beautiful, powerful, life-giving, hope-giving message of this. It's not, I am a champion. It's, I have a champion. Oh, I have a champion. His name is Jesus. He is our giant slayer. Jesus is the warrior who single-handedly defeated all the hordes of hell. Jesus is the one who crushed the head of Satan. 
on the cross, Jesus overcame the power of sin. Our biggest problem, our biggest Goliath is sin. Jesus crushed, defeated, overcame the power of sin by paying for our sin fully and completely. It is finished. Amen. Thank you, Lord. I'm so sick of sin. Aren't you? I'm so sick of sin. And it's still present, but its power has been broken by our champion, Jesus Christ. You are no longer slave to sin, the Bible says. And you know what? I believe death is kind of the, the, big, the big thing. I mean, God said to Adam and Eve, in the day that you eat of that fruit, you shall surely die. What's, what's the, the end result of all of that is death. And it wasn't physical death, it was spiritual death immediately. And then physical death also entered the world at the same time. So when Satan tempts us to sin, what's his goal? It's to kill us, it's to destroy us. The, sin isn't the goal. Sin is the means to kill us, to destroy us, that we might die. And that death is more than just physical death. It is eternal death, that we die physically and that we die eternally by being separated from God forever. Death is really, in a sense, the ultimate enemy, and I believe that's why the Bible says it will be the last enemy that Jesus throws into the lake of fire. So there will be no more death. At the resurrection, Jesus Christ overcame death by breaking its grip and rising from the grave, amen? And so Paul could write in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Death has no more sting. It has no more victory. Now, here's what I want, because, all right, so where are we in the picture? Well, where we left off is we're in the tents hiding and quaking, but that's not where we stay, right, in this picture? Because here's what happens. When David kills Goliath, it says that the Philistines fled, and Israel, the men of Israel, rose up with a shout, and they began to pursue the Philistines and slay them as they ran. What happened? David's victory became their victory. They became victors because of their champion, David. And that's exactly true for us. Christ's victory over Satan, over sin, over death is our victory. Amen? It is our victory. God gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 8.37 says, We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. More than conquerors. So we have a champion. That's, that's the message I want singing in our hearts. We have a champion, and his name is Jesus. And thanks be to God, he gives us the victory. Satan, sin, death do not have the last word over our lives. I'm so grateful for that. They do not have the last word over our lives. Christ does. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And nothing, not a demon in hell, not a power, 
not life, not death. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. We have a champion. Bless God for that. Bless God for that. Oh, we could, we could just meditate on that. That's the amazing life-giving lesson God has for us in this story. But it doesn't stop there. You see, I do believe that with that in mind, that Christ is our champion, we then come to this story and there are principles we can learn from David's example. There are, there are lessons from us. We are to follow Christ's example. We aren't Christ, but we are to follow his example. We aren't Joseph. Joseph was a type of Christ, but we're to follow his example. We aren't David, but we are to follow his example. So, so with Jesus as our champion in mind, I do believe and want to share a few principles to kind of run through this story that I think we can learn from David in our own battles because while our eternal victory is assured, we do fight battles, amen? We have our own Goliaths. And uh, as long as we live on this planet, we're living in a battleground. There, there is, none of you are Christian Switzerlands, you know, where nobody's out to get you and you're just neutral. None of us. We have an enemy. We are in a battlefield. And while the war has been won through Christ, our champion, we can win battles and we can lose battles as we go. Sin and Satan, they come out every day to taunt us, to mock us, to discourage us. We all face our own Goliath. I don't know what your Goliath is, but you have a Goliath. You have something taunting you, mocking you, discouraging you. It might be a temptation that just seems too big for me to conquer. It, it could be a fiery dart that the enemy is slinging at you of condemnation again and again. You're guilty, you're guilty, you're guilty. Do you think God loves you? Accusing you, accusing. That's what his name means, the accuser of the brethren. It could be a situation of, yeah, gosh, we have situations that rise up and it's just like this feels bigger than God. It, we know it's not, but it feels bigger than God. To our hearts, it could be a relationship that's gone off track or a problem we can't get a grip on. It could be an emotional giant. Depression, anxiety, discouragement, regret. There are emotional giants that we could wake up on a beautiful sunny spring day and have this weight on our heart that puts clouds over our emotional state. Jesus is our champion. We follow him into victory. But I do think there are some principles we can learn from David. Whatever your fight is, whatever your Goliath is, and it will be different from different times. So I want to share just three giant slaying principles. All right, these are principles. So these aren't like, okay, this is a law that every time, but these are, I think, principles. Number one, this is a law. This is a principle. This is a truth. This is all the time. The battle is the Lord's. Amen? That battle you're facing, the battle is the Lord's. Here's what happened. Goliath is out there. He's big. He's mean. He's ugly. And he's taunting Israel. And David comes out, no armor, just a stick, 
a sling, and five smooth stones. And Goliath is offended. He is offended. This is your best? You come at me? What am I, a dog? And so Goliath cursed David by his gods. I curse you by my gods. And he threatened to feed him to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And what he's saying is, I will kill you. I will desecrate your body. It's going to get eaten by animals and nothing will stop that. And my gods will humiliate your God. And so here's David's response. He says to him in verse 45, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Then David does a little bit of his own prediction. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. David doesn't even have a sword. I believe David already knew what he was going to do. He was going to use Goliath's sword. I'm going to cut off your head and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines. Let's spread this out, Goliath. Not just your body, the bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth. He, he reverses the curse. I'm going to do to you and all your compa companions what you just said you'd do to me. Here's why. That all the earth may know there is a God in Israel. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. God, Goliath might be big. David's faith is bigger. His God is bigger. Faith gives us eyes to see how big our God is, even when we're facing down a giant. David, David didn't put his trust in his weapons. We're going to talk about his weapons. They're good weapons. But he didn't put his trust in his weapons to give him victory. He says, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. Whatever battle we're fighting, brothers and sisters, please know this. When you wake up in the morning, when you go to bed, claim this, the battle is the Lord's. That doesn't mean you just sit back and he does it all. That would be the Israelites hiding in the tent. Forty days, forty nights, the battle was the Lord's, but not much happened. There was no forward progress. It wasn't until David ran out there, but he ran out there with this faith and heart. The battle, I'm going to fight this thing, but the battle is the Lord's, and he's going to win this thing. So we believe and trust that God fights for us. Ephesians chapter 6, Paul talks about, he says, Be strong in the power of the Lord and his strength. And then he talks about putting on the full armor of God. And we don't have time to go through all of that. You've got the belt of truth. That we're girded with truth, brothers and sisters, through the word of God. We've got the breastplate of righteousness, which I believe is maybe double meaning. Its primary meaning is that righteousness that's imputed to us through Christ. It's his righteousness. But also, amen, as we grow in our walk with the Lord, we begin to walk in a greater righteousness and a holiness and integrity. And that's a guard over our hearts. And we've got the 
the helmet of salvation and we shod our feet with the gospel of peace so we can, because running and with the good news is a form of warfare. But I want to just highlight a few of these. The shield of faith, the shield of faith to extinguish the fiery darts of the enemy's accusations. Those darts hit like Goliath, Satan threatens to kill us. You're going down. You're going down. You're guilty. God doesn't love you. God didn't save you. Yeah, you trust in Christ, but look at your life. And he's fiery darts coming from different directions. And the shield of faith blocks those fiery darts with the promises of God. I am his. I am more than a conqueror through him who loved me. He will bring me safely to his kingdom. And then we've got the sword of the spirit. Says uh, many have pointed out this is the only offensive weapon. But the word of God is our offensive weapon by which we can cut the head of the enemy off. And then Paul says praying in the spirit at all times. So I, I, I want to just encourage us, the Word of God and prayer are vital if we're to win those daily battles against the Goliaths in our lives. When we don't spend time in the Word of God and we don't spend time in prayer, we are in, in functionally, we are saying, we're going to fight those giants in our own strength. We need the Word of God in our hearts. We need prayer. We need to go forth with the full armor of God. We declare the battle is the Lord's when we go to his word for truth and encouragement and direction, when we call upon God. So whatever, if there's a giant, if there's, a, if there's even a small giant in your life that's mocking or taunting you or, or troubling you, I want you to, I want you to realize if, if that's got you so wound up that you get up and you don't pray and you don't read the word and you just think about it all the time, you need to get into the word of God. You need to get into prayer. You need to, you know, call upon God because those are weaponry for us. And we're declaring the battles of the Lord's when we, when we get into the word of God and when we call upon God and say, God, I, I need you. I need you. So the battle is the Lord's. He's fighting with us and he's fighting for us. Giant slaying principle number two is this. Run to the giant rather than run away from it. Now, again, this is a principle, but verse 24 says that when all the men heard Goliath, they fled from him and were afraid. Verse 48 says David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. Goliath tormented him for 40 days. They ran away. They made no progress. They, they, nobody was going anywhere as long as they ran away from Goliath. David didn't run from Goliath. He ran to him, towards him. And I, and I do think there's a good principle in that as we face our own giants. Again, there are probably exceptions. I'll even mention one. But in general, and I hope, I'm keeping this vague because none of you wrote to me and said, here's the giant I'm facing in life. But I hope you're thinking of it. What is that thing you're facing right now? That issue. In general, running away from it 
isn't going to fix it. Avoiding it probably isn't going to solve it. Giants tend to get bigger when we run away from them. Small sins get bigger when we don't deal, we just drift. Wherever they take us. Relational breaks tend to get wider and bigger with silence. Now, in the midst of conflict, there's a way to run towards conflict that creates bigger conflict too. I don't have time to get into all those things, but in general, problems in marriages get bigger when we ignore them. Financial challenges like debt or overspending, robbing Peter to pay Paul, get worse when we ignore them. I was reading in Proverbs Chapter 6, a warning about laziness. And we don't think about laziness as a big deal a lot of times, but actually laziness is a very destructive thing. It's kind of destruction in slow motion. A little slumber, a little sleep, and poverty overtakes us like an armed robber. The deception of laziness is, I'll deal with it tomorrow, but let me get a little more rest today. I'll deal with it tomorrow. I'll be all over it tomorrow. But today, one more time, a little more sleep, a little folding of the hands, a little more passivity can't hurt anything. And little by little, Destruction in slow motion. So what does the proverb writer Solomon say? He says, instead, take action. Go to the ant. Go learn from something that is industrious, that looks ahead, sees where this thing is going. I know winter's coming, so I'm going to get food in there. doesn't wait till December 1st to start buying Christmas presents and buying, you know, what I need. Actually, December 1st would actually be pretty good. <laughs> December 24th. But this isn't about Christmas presents. This is about working towards a solution, working towards provision, making provision for the, the right thing before the problem hits. I see a little bit ha thing happening here, a little drift in our marriage, a little struggle here, a little conflict happening here. And rather than, how many, don't raise your hand, but how many love conflict? I don't. If you love conflict, there's something wrong. But, but if we run away from it, it gets often bigger. The fire gets bigger. Take initiative, face the problem, learn from those who do it better, have courage to run towards your Goliath, not away from it. Now, this is a principle. Some Goliaths running away is the answer. Paul tells Timothy, flee youthful lusts. You don't overcome youthful lusts by facing them and, and feeding them. You face them by running as fast as you can in the other direction, by starving them getting as far away from the temptation to sin as you can, avoiding situations where there's easy opportunity to sin. In effect, we run away 
But I want to submit this. As we run away, we're actually running towards. We're running towards Goliath to slay him when we run away from youthful lust. When we run away from temptations to sin, we are running towards it. But not to entertain it, but to slay it. To put to death so if there's a particular giant that you're facing right now, I just want to encourage you, go to God in prayer, open your word of God, get wisdom. If you don't know, go to somebody that you see wisdom in and ask them for counsel, but don't just ignore it. Don't just ignore it. Face it. I encourage you to face it. The battle's the Lord, so he will give you the victory but have the courage to run towards Goliath rather than away from him. And the last giant slaying principle is this. It's really wise to use proven weapons in the battle. Now, th this is, this is um, we see in the story what happened. When, Saul, when David went to Saul, Saul tried to outfit him with Saul's own armor. And so he puts this big, clunky, heavy, probably beautiful armor on David. And David can't even walk. He's not used to armor. He's never used it armor before. It didn't fit him. So verse 39, David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and choose, chose five small smooth stones from the brook, put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine. Down the road, I think David wore armor after he had tested it, after he got it fitted, after he was used to it. But here, he was not used to it. So contrary to what maybe some of us think about this, David had a lethal weapon in his hand. The sling, it's not a slingshot, don't think this. The sling was basically made him more dangerous in many ways than the arrow, arrow, arrow shooters. You put a rock in that thing and you twirl it around and they got really good at it. And ancient history tells people were able to hit small objects from great distances and it would hit with blunt, lethal blunt force. It would come out of that sling like a, like a bullet out of a gun. So don't let that, like, if you think that, you know, he went out there with nothing, virtually nothing, and God gave him the victory, that's not really what this story is telling us. He went out there very wisely prepared. Goliath couldn't even get out of his own way. But David knew, I've got a lethal weapon, but it's the Lord that's going to aim that, and he's going to give it success. What I see in that is David had great faith, but he wasn't foolish. Now, again, I don't even know how to unpack this, but David knew from experience he had taken on a bear. He had taken on a lion. He had killed them. And so he knew what God had done with him. And he said, I'm just going to do what I know to do. I'm going to do and I'm going to use what God has given me to use and not some, some untested thing. 
He used the tools God had equipped him with and that he had proven and tested in battle. So here's my point here. Wisdom and faith are not enemies. They're friends. They're not adversaries. There are times when God will call us to do something that on paper looks foolish. But it's not because God's calling us to. But even in that case, wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. But when we're looking for a weapon to deal with whatever we're dealing with, we pray, we read the word of God, and then we look for a smooth stone of wisdom to sling at that thing and trust God to hit it between the eyes. So as we close this morning, I'm going to ask the band to come back up. If you're facing a giant, I don't know what that giant is. It, it could be anything. But you know, if there's something on your heart, you know. The chances are good. God's already put the weapon in your hand. He, he's already put the tools in your hand. And he will give you the victory. He will give you the victory. So again, call on to God. Grab your Bible. Grab this thing. Get into it. Say, God, I'm dealing with this. What does your word tell me? Give me wisdom. Give me faith to fight this battle. And give me courage to run towards it and not run away from it. And encourage my heart to know that God will give me the victory. We have a champion, Jesus Christ, who fights for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. Jesus is our champion. We declare that. We declare it. We declare it to the day we die. And our last breath will be Jesus. Our last breath on this earth isn't going to be, boy, I hope I was good enough. It's not going to be, oh, I gave a lot of money to the poor. Or I did a lot of this or I did a lot of that. Our last breath isn't going to be, I have no hope. Our last breath is going to be the name Jesus. When we stand before you, Lord, we stand before you in Jesus, knowing nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lord. We have an enemy here, but we have a bigger God who's fighting for us. Give us faith. And I pray for that person who's downhearted, who's, who's feeling weak. Lord, I know we've all been there. We've all been there. Would you give them a fresh sense of faith, a fresh sense of assurance that you are with them. You will not leave them. You will fight for them. And Lord, I pray that maybe in this message, you've dropped some kind of a, a, a thought, a, a, a word, a timely in instruction to help them in that fight, Lord. We thank you and we give you the glory. Give strength and courage, Lord, in Jesus' name.